Sisters and brothers in our Lord Jesus Christ, the ability to communicate is fundamental to who we are as human beings. Language, the capacity for, uh, for intellectual thought and speech and communication is, is one of the main things that sets us apart from the animal world. We, but, but despite that, we live in a world that has, I looked it up this week, we have just about 6,500 spoken languages on this earth. And that sometimes makes communication difficult. When we read stories of global exploration, we see time and time again that the ability to communicate is fundamental to who we are as human beings. And the inability of people to communicate from uh, one culture to another uh, is a major cause in history of confusion and conflict and even war. I grew up in the Dominican Republic as a child. My parents were missionaries there. And we would often, uh, the English-speaking missionaries would gather together for retreats and for times of fellowship and rest. Um, and one of the things that commonly took place at these gatherings was that people would tell stories of miscommunication, uh, stories of bad translations and of uh, misspoken words and of, of uh, mistaken words. Um, and so, for example, uh, some of these are hilarious I think. Um, the, the Dominican Republic is a tropical country, right? So it gets pretty warm. Um, and especially missionaries from North America uh, like to complain about the heat. And so in Spanish, if you say, uh, tengo calor, which literally means I have heat, it means that the weather's getting to you and you feel uncomfortable. But if you say, soy caliente, which literally means I am hot, means that you're pretty attractive and good-looking. <laughs> there was another story that I heard a number of times of a North American pastor who, uh, who came to vacation in the Dominican Republic because he wanted to check out the fishing scene. He wanted to go fishing. And uh, on Sunday, uh, because he was a, a pious man, he decided to attend a, a local church, a Dominican church. And in the Dominican Republic, if, uh, if a church finds out that you are visiting and that you are a pastor, uh, you're invited to come up and give a sermon. And so somehow, the, this Dominican church found out that this uh, visiting North American was a pastor, and so they asked him to come up and preach. And this pastor's Spanish was not very good, and he didn't have a sermon prepared. So he, he just got up and he told them, uh, Yo vení a la, a la República Dominicana para pecar. The people who know Spanish probably laughed at that. Um, pecar means to sin. Pescar means to go fishing. So this missionary, or this, this pastor who was visiting, uh, said in front of the whole church, Oh no, I can't preach to you. I just came to the Dominican Republic to sin. Another story that we heard was of a young woman uh, who was in the Dominican Republic uh, teaching English at a Spanish school. And she was attending a Spanish-speaking church because she wanted to learn the language and get involved in the culture. Um, and this young woman, she had a beautiful singing voice. And the pastor of the church really wanted her to sing a solo for the congregation. 
And after a long period of, of persuasion and convincing, she, she finally agreed that she would stand up in front of the church and sing a solo. But when the time came, she froze up and she couldn't do it. And so all she said into the microphone was, Lo siento, soy embarazada. Es la culpa del pastor. Which, <laughs> which means, embarazada in uh, Spanish doesn't mean embarrassed, it means pregnant. <laughs> and so what she said was, I'm sorry, I'm pregnant, it's the pastor's fault. <laughs> These are the kinds of stories that uh, people would share when we came together in the Dominican Republic. And these stories are funny. And anyone who has had to live and work in, uh, in a place where they had to speak a language that was not their first language probably has similar stories to share. Some of them are funny, others, others of them are not. But the point is that language is just so fundamental to who we are. And that the ability to communicate is so important for, for daily life to, to happen. Um, people who study language have all of these great quotes that reflect this truth. The, uh, the German philosopher Ludwig Wittgenstein once said, the limits of my language are the limits of my world. The Emperor Charlemagne had a famous quote uh, that's, that's pretty well known. He said, to know two languages is to have a second soul. And the late Nelson Mandela once said, I love this one. If you talk to a man in a language that he understands, that stays in his head. But if you talk to a man in his language, that stays in his heart. When I was in college, I studied Greek, and quotes like this became a regular part of my education. A common saying in, uh, in the Greek department was, learning a new language means finding a new world. My professors would often compare reading, uh, reading uh, uh, a piece of work in English translation uh, versus reading it in the original text to, uh, to kissing a woman through a veil versus kissing a woman on the lips. Um, and we were constantly reminded of the old Italian proverb, the translator is a traitor. Language is fundamental to who we are as human beings. Language shapes us, it forms us, it helps us uh, uh, shape the way that we see and experience the world, the way that we understand our lives and make sense of who we are. And this is what makes the story of the Tower of Babel that we read earlier uh, in the service, so devastating. And it's what makes the story of Pentecost that, uh, that the sermon is on today so amazing. The Tower of Babel in Genesis 11 tells the story of humanity united, but humanity is united in rebellion against God. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech, and as humanity moved eastward, they found a plain in Babylon, and they settled there, and they said to each other, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens, so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. And in and of itself, this doesn't seem like such a terrible thing. These people, you know, they're, they're wandering uh, through the world and they come 
they come to a place that, that's fertile and that's nice, and they want to live together, and they, they want to build a great city. It doesn't seem so terrible on the surface, but the thing that makes it terrible is that they did this in direct disobedience to the command of God. When God created humanity in Genesis 1, he instructed them to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth and rule over it. And here in Genesis 11, the people of the earth are saying, you know what, we have a better idea. We are going to make a name for ourselves apart from God. We are going to build a tower to the heavens, and from there we can reign over heaven and earth without God's help. And God comes down. It's so interesting the way that the text describes it. God comes down, and he sees the city, and he sees the tower that they're building, and he's like, um, no. That's, that's not how it's supposed to go. And God says something that I think should really strike us, something, something that I think gets glossed over most of the time when we read the story of the Tower of Babel. And it's something that I think is important for when we read the Pentecost story, too. God says, if, as one people, speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing that they plan to do will be impossible for them. If as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing that they plan to do will be impossible for them. Language is power. And in the story of the Tower of Babel, humanity used this power to assert their rebellion and their disobedience against the God who created them. At Pentecost, though, the opposite happens. The Tower of Babel represents humanity coming together, humanity united in rebellion against God. But at Pentecost, God brings together humanity to establish his holy people in the person of Jesus Christ. And all of the nations and the languages that are known to the people of Israel are present for this event. Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, Cretans and Arabs, all of them heard the wonders of God proclaimed in their own language. At Babel, humanity came together in rebellion against God. But at Pentecost, God gathers humanity together as his chosen people. Which was God's purpose from the beginning? In Genesis 1, after God creates the heavens and the earth, God creates humanity, male and female, and he commands them to fill the earth and rule over it rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and every living creature that moves along the ground. And Genesis 2 explains to us a little bit more of what this ruling looks like. 
Because Genesis 2 tells us that God created humanity to work the ground, to work the earth, to care for the earth. And so from the beginning, God's plan was to create a special people who would be his hands and feet on the earth. To work in the creation, to cause creation to flourish and and to reach its full potential and to, to, with all of its being, bring praise and glory and honor to the God who created it. But humanity rebels against God. And in Genesis 11, we read the story of the Tower of Babel, where humanity comes together, where humanity comes united to build a tower to the heavens and overthrow the king of creation. But right after the Tower of Babel, we get the story of Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. And God calls Abraham to leave his home, to give up everything that he has, and to go to a new land that God promised to give him. And God gives Abraham this promise. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. All peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. This is God's purpose for choosing a special people for himself. God chooses Abraham so that through Abraham, God can bless all people on the face of the earth. God chooses Israel so that through Israel, God can pour out his blessings to the ends of the earth. The purpose of God's chosen people is reaffirmed throughout the Old Testament time and time again. God's people are to be the vehicle of God's blessing to the nations. And this theme carries through the whole Bible, through the Old and the New Testaments. Even though Israel fails time and time again, God's purpose is clear. God intends to bless all nations through them. The prophet Isaiah has these amazing passages, these long passages about how God will pour out his blessings on Assyria and Babylon and Persia and Egypt. The prophet Zechariah even extends these blessings to the Philistines, to the arch enemies of the people of God. Zechariah 9 verse 7 says that from the Philistines, God will preserve for himself a remnant and they will become leaders in the tribe of Judah. Even the Philistines have a place in the kingdom of God. And what we see in the story of Pentecost is the fulfillment of this promise. God brings together all the nations of the earth so that he can pour out his blessing on all peoples. In every language and every tongue known on the earth, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ is proclaimed. And what we see afterwards is that the church just explodes from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. 
And just, I, I studied early, uh, early Christianity when I was in seminary, and it's amazing how quickly the gospel spreads and how far the gospel spreads from, from uh, the West in Spain to all the way to the Korean Peninsula, all the way up to Russia, all the way down to Ethiopia and India. Within 200 years of Christ's death and resurrection, the, the church founded in Christ spreads from one side of Europe to the other side of Asia. It's just incredible. And the exciting thing is that we're seeing something similar happening in our own time. We're seeing a shift in the global picture of Christianity. Just a hundred years ago, most of Christianity was concentrated in Europe and North America. The Western world was the Christian world. But over the last hundred years, the church has exploded to the south and to the east, to South America, Africa, Asia. Today, the majority of Christians in the world live in those, on those three continents, on South America, Africa, and Asia. People who study world Christianity say that 100 years ago, the global center of Christianity was somewhere near uh, Lyon in France. But today, that center has shifted south. And today, the global center of Christianity is somewhere near Timbuktu in Mali. The majority of Christians in the world today live in the south and in the east. The Christian church is growing around the world in places where a hundred years ago we would have never predicted that the gospel would succeed. The church is growing in parts of the world where we never would have guessed. And we're seeing the fruits of the Holy Spirit even here in the church in North America. In North America, Christianity is being transformed by this global explosion of Christianity. Immigration and globalization have brought millions of Christians from around the world to our continent, and these people are breathing new life into the churches here. And I think that the next 50 years is going to be an awesome chapter in the story of the Christian Reformed Church, because the places where the Christian Reformed Church is growing fastest in North America is among Korean immigrants and Chinese immigrants and Nigerian immigrants and South American immigrants. We have connections with communities of Reformed Christians around the world. And as people from these global outposts of Reformed Christianity come to North America, they, we, we have this amazing opportunity to see not only how God is working here in our own country, in our own uh, communities, but also how God is working, how the Spirit is on the move across the world. And this new chapter in the life of the church brings with it exciting opportunities. And they're opportunities that I think God has equipped the Christian Reformed Church for well. The Christian Reformed Church was established by uh, Dutch immigrants who were fleeing war and uh, violence and uh, uh, natural disasters and famine, economic recession. These Dutch settlers took the long journey across the Atlantic uh, to, to start a new life in a new land. And these early settlers had to wrestle long and hard with what it meant to become American, with what it meant to become Canadian, what it meant that they had to hold on to, what it meant that they had to give up. 
And that experience, I think, has equipped us as a church in a unique way to minister to immigrants still today, to walk alongside them as they walk the path that we have walked before. Another exciting opportunity that God has blessed us with is the fact that the whole world is practically in our backyard. The Christian Reformed Church struggled for a long time with its missionary identity, with where, where to reach out and, and what parts of the world to send missionaries to. And inter- international missionary work has been an important part of our denomination's history for a long time through the work of uh, Christian Reformed World Missions, which is how old now, Carl? 128 years old, our missionary agency. And we have a strong missionary presence in many parts of the world, in the Dominican Republic, where I grew up, in Nigeria, in Egypt, in Indonesia, just to name a few. But there are many parts of the world where missionary work is difficult, if not impossible. Much of the Middle East and and a huge chunk of Asia are simply closed off to uh, opportunities for international missionaries. We can't go to those countries and preach the gospel. But what we've seen in the last uh, few decades is that God has opened another door for evangelism and for the gospel to reach people in this part of the world. Um, Earlier this year, I had the opportunity to hear Greg Sinclair speak, and Greg Sinclair is is the, the director of the Salam Project, which is the Christian Reformed Church's outreach to Muslim communities in North America. And Greg Sinclair reframed the whole question of of, uh, outreach to the Muslim world for me uh, in a really creative way. He said that even though Muslim countries are closed to missionaries, even though Muslim countries have laws against proclaiming the gospel, God is leading Muslims out of those countries and is bringing them to us, bringing them here, to places where they can hear the good news, the saving news of what God has done for them in Christ. God is bringing Muslims out of their closed countries and settling them here. And they are our neighbors, our classmates, our co-workers, our employees. God is bringing people to a place where they can be open to hearing the gospel. And the same thing is happening with China. For a long time, China was an officially atheist nation, and, and it's still, there are barriers to, uh, to uh, preaching the gospel there. Um, and the government still keeps a very close watch on religious organizations. But what we're seeing is that God is bringing people from China to North America, and our universities are just exploding with students from this part of the world who have never heard the gospel. And we have an amazing opportunity to reach people from this part of the world. And we're doing that through, uh, through our campus ministries and, and through other uh, uh, churches that are involved in that. Um, and that, that's an exciting thing. And this is the future of the church. As the Holy Spirit moves the church to the south and the east of the world, we are being blessed to see the diversity of the body of Christ even here at home. God continues to breathe new life into our churches by bringing people from around the world. And in our own church, we see the fruit of the Spirit's work around the world. We have members from all over the world who worship with us on a regular basis. 
We have people from Guyana, from Sudan, from Iraq, from Ukraine, from Japan, from Guatemala, from South Korea, Taiwan, Colombia, France, the Netherlands, South Africa, the Dominican Republic, Germany, Ethiopia, the United States, and the Philippines, and I'm sure that I'm missing some. Here in our little church, in our little congregation, we, we, we have been blessed by God with a picture a, a, a foretaste, you might say, of the great multitude in Revelation chapter 7, the great multitude that no one can count from every tribe and tongue and people and nation standing before the throne and before the Lamb crying out, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Here in our church, God has blessed us with a vision of Pentecost, with a vision of the great multitude in heaven, a vision of all the peoples on the earth gathered together by God to carry his blessings to the end of the earth. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, O oh Lord our God and our King, we thank you for pouring out your Holy Spirit on the nations of this world. We thank you for gathering us together from every tribe and tongue and people and nation to praise your holy name. We thank you that through your Spirit you unite us to our Lord Jesus Christ and that the, the, the barriers that divide our world are broken down in you. Lord, we pray that you would continue to move through your Holy Spirit to transform us more and more into the likeness of your Son, Jesus Christ, to transform us more and more into a vision of that great multitude that no one can count, standing before your throne and praising the Lamb. In his name we pray, amen.